Hey, what's going on? And welcome to another awesome episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. As always, I am your host, Shane Hubbard. Thank you a ton for joining me today. Before I get started, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you wouldn't mind leaving a rating of some kind, I would really appreciate it. Uh, One of the things I've been learning about how to get your podcast out to more people other than them sharing it on their social media and other things. So if you feel like that is something you are willing to do and you feel good about sharing this podcast, I would highly encourage it. But the other thing is ratings and comments. So obviously ratings help people you know, figure out whether it's a good podcast or not. It also tells iTunes or wherever you are leaving a rating that, hey, a lot of people like this. Let's show more people this podcast. And in the world of fitness, there are a ton of really good podcasts. I listen to a couple of them uh, here and there just to get ideas and to see what's going on in the industry. So by no means, this is the best podcast in fitness uh, because I, I think that while I do a really good job, I also have a lot to learn. But I do believe that this is one of the better podcasts out there. It's certainly when it comes to giving you no BS information and getting right to the point. Um, I don't like to beat around the bush unless I'm making an announcement of some kind. So again, I feel like this is a really solid podcast. If you wouldn't mind taking less than two minutes out of your day to leave a quick little comment and give the podcast a little bit of a rating, that would be awesome. And as I've told you before, I put five stars into this podcast, so I really would appreciate a five-star rating as well. Okay, so we're going to be talking about 30 myths about dieting that you need to unlearn, all right? So some of these are going to have overlaps between nutrition, fitness. It's going to be some of the smaller things you might see when it comes to dieting. It's going to be bigger philosophies. There's a lot thrown in here. And as I was coming up with this list, I did a little bit of research just to see what are some more common myths out there or more common beliefs. I've also just done a ton of uh, question asking on places like TikTok and Instagram and other social media platforms to see sort of what the consensus is on some of the things that you've been told over the course of your dieting life or your weight loss life. And unfortunately, there's a lot of myths out there. So this is probably not going to be the only or the first podcast that I do about debunking myths, but these are the 30 that I came up with that I think are really important to uh, debunk. All right, so number one, and again, these are not in any specific order. These are just sort of the way that I came up with them, and I, you know, based on research and information. So number one is dieting is easy. All right, dieting is not easy. On paper, it seems simple, right? You you pick a certain amount of calories you eat, you eat to that amount, you start losing weight, bada boom, bada bing, you're done. Nope, that's not exactly how it works, and that's not it's not that simple. There are other things like hormones that come into play. One of the one of the things I think often gets overlooked, and I actually posted this the other day on my Instagram, uh, was the conversation I had with uh, Jade Tita about how lowering your calories affects your hormones and, and your, how your body tries to pull you back into eating more calories. So there's very sort of complicated aspects at play that you have to learn how to play that level of chess in order to make better decisions on your diet and, and how you organize things. So dieting is certainly not easy. If you look at it on paper, the process is relatively simple. Like it's not too difficult to understand. But how you make decisions, like here's a perfect example. Let's say that you lower calories. You were eating uh, 2,000 calories and you lowered your calories to 1,700. So technically speaking, that's a 300-calorie deficit. Well, one reason why this might not be that easy is let's say you do that, but you don't lose any weight for four straight weeks. You don't lose any inches. Nothing changes. That's very discouraging, right? Because you're like, wait, I did the thing that I was supposed to do. Why didn't I lose weight? 
Well, anytime you're coming up with a calorie deficit number, it's a bit of trial and error. You have to try that out for a little while, see if that creates weight loss or fat loss. So when I say, when I talk about them differently, you can see uh, weight loss on the scale, but you can also see no change on the scale and actually lose inches on your body. So that's another confusing thing, which, which we'll actually talk about later. But my point is, is that it's not just black and white. There is a lot of gray area in there and, and you have to sort of know how to navigate all the different things that happen. And, and again, that's why I've become a coach is because I just realized how difficult this can be for a lot of people. And so I wanted to solve this problem, but I also wanted to help as many people with the same sort of troubles that I've been through. Listen, I, none of the things that I coach are things that I just read about and, you know, hope they work. They're things I've experimented with. They're things that uh, I have witnessed myself or experienced myself. And so there are certain areas where like, I'm never going to have PCOS, right? So I do have to do research and work with clients and, and consult with people who know more about that than I do. But at the same time, a lot of the, the very basics are things that I've been through. So I trust me, I understand that dieting is not easy. It might look simple on paper, but it's a lot of impromptu decision-making based on a couple of different things like how your metabolism reacts to lower calories, uh, understanding what a true calorie deficit means, understanding how to measure progress. There's a lot that goes into it. And so I hope that I'm at least helping you understand the greater world of dieting through this podcast and through my content. All right, so that's number one. Number two, you can't take breaks from dieting until you've lost all the weight. That is a huge myth. In fact, I would actually suggest the opposite. I think it's important to understand that if you are having a hard time adhering to a calorie deficit, so let's say that you've gone four straight weeks and you're having a little bit of a difficulty adhering to those calories, it could mean a lot of things. The first thing it can mean is maybe you set up too deep a calorie deficit. So maybe you cut too many calories out initially. That's a very common mistake. And I've made that mistake plenty of times. In fact, um, even recently I made that mistake. I think it was last year when I was trying out the keto diet, I just cut way too many calories for my activity level. I ended up crashing pretty early on, which for me was about a month and a half in. But um, if, if you're not taking breaks every now and then from a calorie deficit, it's going to be harder to adhere. So what I typically recommend is that around the eight-week mark, so two full months, if you start to notice that your adherence to the amount of calories is getting challenging, meaning that you're craving food all the time, you're hungry all the time, it's not an easy process to maintain or it's not a manageable uh, amount of calories to maintain where it's actually becoming less of a uh, it's becoming more challenging in the wrong sort of way to adhere to that calorie amount. Taking two weeks where you eat it maintenance, which is you know going to be a different calorie amount and different for everyone, um, but typically speaking is anywhere between two to 400 calories more than what you were eating in a calorie deficit. Taking that two-week break can actually give you an, an amazing sort of reset, give your body the calories it needs to you know manage your weight again, but also give yourself enough calories to uh, sort of ward off the negative side effects of going into a calorie deficit for a prolonged period of time and then get back into a calorie deficit and continue the process. Now, sure, you know, technically speaking on paper, this is going to take longer than someone who diets in a calorie deficit all the way through until they lose all the weight. But here's a very important question you need to ask yourself. If you ever plan to lose weight and keep it off, at some point you're going to have to learn how to maintain your calorie intake. And what better way to do that than in the middle of a dieting phase? So if I'm working with somebody, I usually say, listen, 
think about your results in terms of a year. All right, don't try to get results that you think are going to happen in three months, six months, in a year. It's 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 to try to fit all of that in and to try to be adherent is very challenging. And so the common person who has tons of other responsibilities, who doesn't have the sole job of trying to consume calories and work out, is going to need a longer span of time. You have to learn how to fit this into your current life or make small adjustments and small sacrifices instead of large sacrifices so you can actually maintain the results. So taking a diet break is actually a very important strategy. Now it needs to be structured. It's not just like, oh, you know, I'm, t- I'm four days into my diet. I no longer want to do this. I'm going to take a break. No, you, you have to earn the diet break. But my point is, is that you don't have to go from point A to point B in a calorie deficit the entire time. You can go eight weeks of dieting, two weeks of maintenance, or maybe you need, you know, three weeks or, you know, depending on how quickly you want to lose weight and, and how much you can adhere to certain things, you might need less or more maintenance breaks, but being able to do that not only teaches you how to maintain the weight you've lost, but it also gives you a break from very strict dieting. And if you think that you can willpower your way out of this, just remember your metabolism doesn't give a crap whether or not you can willpower your your way out of something. It's going to override that. And I've seen it done a a hundred times, if not more, and I've had it happen to me plenty of times as well. So just keep in mind that you're sort of, you have to think in terms of working with your body not trying to overpower it because it has so much more experience than you do. It's been around for generations and centuries, uh, tons of centuries, and you've been around for at the very most maybe like 75 years. So you're not going to win that battle. You have to work with your body if you hope to ever lose weight and keep it off. All right, so that's number two. Number three, supplements burn body fat for you. So this is a giant myth. Supplements do not help you burn body fat. There have been um, some supplements that have been shown, and I don't know how accurate or repeatable this has been, but I have read some research where you can see that uh, certain food substances or supplements can help your body release fat from storage easier or better or however you want to phrase it, but that still doesn't override the amount of calories you would consume if you were to overeat. So it doesn't matter if you take a supplement that helps you release fat from your fat cells. If you also are eating 300 calories more than you should be to lose weight, it doesn't matter that you're taking a supplement. So the energy balance equation overrides anything that you do in a short-term process. So if you're taking a fat-burning supplement, but you're also eating 300 calories over your maintenance, you are going to gain body fat. Okay, so again, and this and we'll talk about this later, but this goes for workouts too. You can work out and burn body fat during your workout, which would be very hard to prove, but let's say you could do it. But then if you go home and you eat more calories than you burned on, on average or in total for that day or week, it doesn't matter how much fat you burn during your workout. So remember that it's the overall balance of energy that's important, not when you specifically burn certain sources of energy. So that's number three. Number four, sort of building onto that point, fasted cardio helps you burn fat. That is not true. Fasted cardio doesn't do anything more for fat loss than doing cardio or any form of exercise having eaten that day. So again, going back to this whole idea that when you burn body fat specifically because you haven't eaten, now technically speaking, like in terms of in terms of an energy um, use standpoint, you could very well be fasted, do cardio, and your body could release body fat and burn that. But if you're also not staying in an overall calorie deficit, 
then it doesn't matter what source of energy that you burn during a workout or during the day. So that's an, a, a very important philosophy to understand. Now, if you enjoy or you're able to adhere to fasted cardio or fasted exercise in general, again, it doesn't matter what form of exercise you're doing fasted, if you're able to, if that's sort of the only way you can do things, so let's say you have to go to work at 7.30 a.m., you have to wake up at 5 a.m., you're probably not going to eat before 5 a.m. because it's just like, you know, why bother? So you go straight into your workout and that's your routine. That is okay if you can adhere to that, if you can consistently maintain that. But if you start to notice that your workouts are dramatically suffering because you don't have any energy to, to really pull from, and, and just so you know, energy stored as fat and energy used as fat in general is definitely less effective for things like weightlifting, all right? Low intensity cardio can be done on an empty stomach, things like walking and even jogging to a certain extent. In fact, when I was on a more consistent uh, running routine, because I was enjoying it at the time, I don't enjoy it now, <laughs> I have my, my periods, um, I would do it fasted because it felt better when I did it fasted. If I would to, was to eat and then go for a run, I just it just didn't work as well. I didn't feel like I had as much energy to actually maintain that that level of cardio. So that's how I did things. But again, I'm doing it based on what works for me. I'm not listening to you know what works for Six Pack Joe because Six Pack Joe is going to have a very different lifestyle than I am, and he or she is going to be in a totally different realm of of life and fitness and routine and and you know uh, everything else that goes into it than I am. So I have to. There's nothing wrong with trying something, but once you try it and you realize that it doesn't work for you, there's nothing wrong with disregarding that, provided you're still following the principles that apply to everyone. Okay, so that is number four. Number five, teas, coffees, and other drinks will help you lose weight. That's not true at all. There is nothing special about teas, coffees, or other drinks that is going to help you lose weight. I have been on a mission to try to find every TikToker who is coming out with some bullshit weight loss drink that they've concocted at home. I even saw a woman the other day who made this like hot beverage and then sat under a blanket. And I guess she thought that by inhaling whatever the vapor was that she was going to lose weight. And I'm just like, oh God, I can't believe that's an actual thing. What I can't believe people are actually like, it had like 175,000 likes. And I'm like, holy crap. I can't believe there's that many people that think this is a real thing. But anyway, this kind of goes with the fat loss supplements side of things. Teas, coffees, and other drinks are not going to help you lose weight on their own. Now, if we're getting down to the nitty-gritty details, let's say that you were you were drinking six full sugar or full calorie sodas a day. And instead of drinking those sodas, you started drinking more teas, more water, more coffees. You've even put lemon in your water. Yes, because you are replacing calories, you are essentially taking all the calories from your sodas and replacing those with beverages that have low to no calories, then yes, in that regard, because of the total calorie intake being different now, you have lost weight. But there's no special properties found in tea, coffees, and other drinks that are going to specifically target body fat, suppress appetite, and do some kind of magic that supersedes the calorie or the energy balance equation. Okay, so Yes, you can, you know, hell, I, I recommend that if you're drinking seven sodas a day, if you replace some of those sodas with water, and that's the only change that you make, you will lose weight because you're replacing uh, calories with non-caloric beverages. So in that regard, yes, but it's not a direct result of what's in the coffees, teas, or other weight loss drinks you think are out there. All right, so that's number five. Number six, you have to eat your weight in grams of protein a day 
from the start. This is another big myth. Yes, it is recommended to get about one gram of protein per pound of body weight, but there's a lot of gray area here. Here's the first one. If you weigh over 200 pounds, you don't necessarily need to get more than 200 grams of protein, especially not in the beginning. So if you have, if you, like I worked with a guy who weighed 365 pounds, I was not going to have him eat 365 grams of protein. So what we did is we calculated his estimated lean body mass and it ended up being somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think it was like 215. So what I told him was, I said, listen, how much protein are you actually eating right now? And I think at the time he was eating about a hundred grams of protein, somewhere in that neighborhood. So I just told him, I said, let's bump that up a little bit. And what I did is I looked at his meals and I noticed that he wasn't getting the same quantity of protein at each meal. Like some meals he'd have 40 grams, some meals he only had 10. His snacks were carb and fat heavy, which isn't the end of the world, but we could find more ways to get more protein. Uh, we ended up grabbing a protein supplement for him because meal prepping to that extent just wasn't gonna work for him. So we found ways to get more protein, and what he naturally realized was is that by subbing out some of the calories he was getting from fats and carbs with more protein-rich sources, his appetite was much easier to manage. He wasn't hungry during certain parts of the day where he usually was getting pretty you know, snacky, like he wanted to go to the vending machine. So that's what I do with protein is I say, listen, where are you currently at with protein? And then let's find a way to slowly increase that over time. It's not like, hey, I've been eating 50 grams of protein a day. Now I need to eat you know, 275 grams. You're not going to be able to manage that. So being able to understand what that first initial step in terms of protein is could be as simple as looking at your meals throughout the day and noticing where you have less protein and just adding a little bit more protein there. Trust me when I say this, you don't have to like dial in the grams per protein 100% every single time. If you're a more analytical person and you're maybe more type A and, and doing the number side of things is really the best way to, to adhere to a program for you, that might be the best way. I've had other people just tell me how many servings of protein should I have a day? And so we work that out. So again, learning how my job as a coach is to learn how you think, how you do things, what best suits you, because that's what's going to create the most adherence. Your job, if you're, if you're not hiring a coach or you're not getting a coach to help you with this, your job as a person is the same thing. You're just taking on that responsibility is how do I manage things like protein in my daily life so that I can slowly add more and more and where to get those sources from and, and that sort of thing. So obviously you, you'll have to do the research yourself if you don't want to get a coach, but understand that that is a philosophy is, is kind of the best way to go about things. All right, so that's number six. Number seven, some foods burn more fat than others. So let me repeat that. Some foods burn more fat than others. This is not true for all foods. Now, I'm going to break this down into nitty-gritty details because I think it's still important for you at least to understand. So when you look at different types of foods, most specifically the macronutrient uh, categories of foods, proteins, carbs, and fats, when you look at protein compared to fats and carbs, per protein does take more calories to digest, to break down, assimilate, and spread throughout the body than carbs and fats. So in that regard protein does burn more calories a day than the foods that you eat from carbs and fats. Now, this will only account for 10% of the total calories you consume. So while it can make a difference in a very micro way, it's not going to be the, 
the end-all be-all to your fat loss problems, right? Yes, eating more protein can help you burn more calories throughout the day, but it's not a fat-burning food, okay? It's not like you eat this food, it burns fat into story. This goes with healthy foods and unhealthy foods as well. Healthy foods don't burn any more calories than unhealthy foods, okay? So you don't have to eat specific foods when you're trying to lose body fat. Certain foods, mostly in the whole food realm, so you know plants and animals that you eat, are going to do a couple of things that help managing calories a lot easier to do, right? If you were to eat a diet of, of pretty much just processed foods, being able to maintain things like energy for a workout or your hunger and craving signals are going to be a lot more challenging. But you can definitely eat healthier foods and mix in some less healthy foods or more processed foods into your nutrition, provided you're keeping calories you know, equated, like everything on the calorie end is still being managed the proper way, and you can lose body fat. One of the things that, that probably pisses me off more than anything is are people that say if you eat sugar, you can't lose fat. <laughs> Just simply not true. That has never been founded. And trust me, if it had been founded, it would have been front page news. And all of the ethical and, and truth-based scientific researchers would have come out and said, yeah, listen, this is the research. We've done you know, 20 studies, 18 of them are showing that you know, sugar uh, makes it so you can't lose body fat. That would be a thing if it was true. But when we've done the research on it and when scientists have actually done studies to show that you know, sugar uh, consumption has nothing to do with you know, fat being burned or not being burned, when calories are equated for. And so that's another thing to understand is that there are no foods that burn more fat than other foods. Protein does take more calories to digest than things like foods that are, are high in carbs and fats. But outside of that, that's basically it. And no, please do not go out and only eat protein. This is not an excuse to start up the carnivore diet, okay? All I'm telling you is when we understand what we understand about food is that metabolically speaking, protein takes more calories to digest than things like carbs and fats. That's it. That's, that's the extent that food has any sort of calorie burning effect. All right. And that's, and that can be found across the board. So you can, you can cite me on that if you want to. All right. So let's dive into number eight, which is you should track the calories you burn through exercise. If you want to track the calories you burn through exercise, here's a couple of things to understand. Okay, first and foremost, the calorie trackers or the, 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 the watches, the treadmills that help you calculate how many calories you burned can be up to 75% inaccurate. So that means that you could either be burning 500 calories in a workout or you could be burning 220 calories in a workout. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to rely on data that can be 75% inaccurate. Also, if one of the things that I have seen, and, and this certainly doesn't happen with everyone, but for the majority of people that take how many calories they burn too seriously, they can become obsessed with trying to make it a seesaw calories in versus calories out problem. And if you get really, really micromanaging of these numbers, you're going to be spending so much energy on trying to figure out if you exactly burned 300 calories more than you ate, that you're going to burn yourself out. Trying to manage that is not suitable for everyone. <laughs> I won't even say some people. It's not suitable for anyone. So understand that 
If you're trying to figure out how many calories you burn, like exactly on every single workout, and you use that to subtract from how many calories you are eating, you will eventually burn out. And here's a couple of reasons why, okay? So the first thing is, because the number is so inaccurate, you really have no idea of knowing how many calories you're burning, right? You can have a, an estimate, but you're really not gonna be able to figure out exactly. So that in and of itself should be enough of a deterrent. The other thing you have to understand is, is that as you start to decrease calories or as you start to spend more time in a calorie deficit, your body is going to constrain how many calories you burn through activity. So let's say that you were a couch potato four months ago. And for the first month, you were exercising pretty consistently. And let's say that we know for a fact, you went to a lab, you got it tested, that the, the average amount of calories you burned and the amount of exercise that you did per bout or per session was 500 calories. We know that for a 100% fact. Well, for, you know, fast forward four months into the future, you're not going to be burning 500 calories for the same amount of effort. You might only be burning 320 calories for the same amount of effort. And that's because your body, when it comes to exercise, gets more efficient at burning calories as you do it more and more frequently. Now, this is not me saying you should not exercise. That's not at all what I'm saying. Exercise should be a very important part of managing your weight and of just managing your health and, and enjoying movement and activity and feeling good. Those are all positives. But if you're strictly using exercise to lose weight and you're attacking weight loss from a exercise priority standpoint, you will eventually run out of, of room to use that approach. Eventually, you will have to pay attention to your nutrition. You can, like if you weigh 500 pounds and all you do is exercise, you will lose weight because doing anything outside of not doing anything, so any sort of exercise, is going to create a weight loss effect when you're that far removed from a normal routine. But for those that are trying to lose 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds, a smaller amount, and are already pretty consistently doing some form of exercise or some sort of you know, uh, calorie controlling, eventually the exercise, more exercise approach or more calories burned approach is going to hit a wall. And so you have to, to a, the, the strategy is to a certain point, you want exercise to be a constant. You want it to be consistent. You want to build up your routine until you get to the most that you can manage and then maintain that. And then any adjustments you want to make with body fat at that point need to be done through nutrition because you're going to have a lot more control over your nutrition than you're going to have control over how many calories you burn in a workout because of that constrained model I talked about. All right. So again, if you're brand new to staying consistent with exercise, this isn't necessarily going to apply to you. Uh, you will start to lose, like I, on TikTok, I did a video on why cardio isn't the best form of, of exercise for weight loss. And everyone, not everyone, the vast majority of people were just trying to shit on me like, oh, well, that's not true. I lost 40 pounds and all I did was run. Yeah. Okay. So here's a couple of things. Were you doing anything before? No, <laughs> you weren't doing anything before. So again, if you have a lot of weight to lose and you do some form of exercise, and let's say that's cardio, you can lose weight, but you are going to hit a wall with that approach. And I have seen more people hit that wall than I would like to see because I'd like this information to be a little bit easier to understand, which is why I'm doing this. But 
that is at the end of the day something you have to keep in mind all right so no you should not track the calories you burn through exercise because it's going to be a total headache and you can't even guarantee that the information you're getting about how many calories you burn is accurate all right so that's number eight number nine weight loss is a linear process so let's define linear Linear, linear meaning that every time you step on the scale or every time you measure your progress with weight loss that you will lose weight. That it should be a, from point A to point B, you should be consistently losing weight and never not losing weight or gaining weight, right? And that's not true. If you look at anyone's weight loss graph and you look at any of my clients' weight loss graph, one of the most common patterns I actually see is I see somebody who initially loses weight mostly in the form of water because they're cleaning up their nutrition. And then I'll see a spike, all right? So you'll lose some weight, then I'll see a spike. And by a spike, I mean just higher than, you know, what they had previously lost. And then I'll see another drop. And then I'll see maybe a, a, a little spike. And what most of you do when you see these increases in weight, so like let's use numbers to make this more, more easy to understand. Let's say you weigh 160 pounds and you lose weight, two pounds, so you're 158 pounds. Then the next day you weigh 160 pounds again. You're like, what the hell? I lost two pounds and then I gained two pounds the next day. I have to change my nutrition. I have to eat less calories. I have to exercise more. You make these impulsive decisions based on a weight fluctuation that's taking place in a 24-hour period. That is not what you want to do. There's no need to do that. I have seen people, and I've even experienced this myself in my own calorie deficits and things like that, who have been in a calorie deficit and not lost weight for a short amount of time. I've even seen people who have been in a calorie deficit and gained weight in a short amount of time. On Monday, they weigh themselves, they weigh 160 pounds. On Thursday, they weigh themselves, they weigh 162 pounds. And they're like, dude, what the hell? I've been eating less calories. I don't understand why is my weight going up. And it's because you have to understand that Weight fluctuations are always going to be a constant in your weight loss approach. Like, it's just going to happen. Just because your weight fluctuates up does not mean that you have to make an immediate decision to change how much you exercise or how much you eat. Eating less calories can actually cause a response by the body to retain more water. This is one of the reasons why if someone is, is aiming to lose body fat, and they maybe don't see the scale moving down, I tell them, listen, I want you to measure your inches at the same time. And I've, I'm currently working with a client right now who has been strength training, keeping her calories the same, even increasing her calories, keeping her weight relatively in the same range, but she's losing inches off her waist. She's lo losing inches everywhere there's fat. And that's because she is still creating a caloric deficit. She's not letting her weight determine what decisions she makes. And She's making it easier to, she's making it easier on herself from a mental standpoint not to let the day-to-day -day scale changes, you know, affect her. She's also, tip obviously once a month, in in her cycle, so she's noticing weight spikes. And I go, listen, you're in the middle of your cycle. This isn't like your body is holding on to fat or storing more fat because your calories are all the same. It's you're just holding on to more water, and the foods that you do eat that help you retain water are you know retaining more water. Her period uh, or her cycle is is over or it goes to its second phase and the weight drops off. Okay, so understanding that weight loss is not a linear process, that you are going to see temporary spikes is completely normal. 
And the more you can be okay with that, the easier it's going to be going day to day, week to week, looking at it from a big picture standpoint instead of a day to day standpoint. All right. Okay. So we're all the way at number 10. Number 10 is you have to restart your diet when you fall off or go over your calories. 100% not true. In fact, if you do that, you'll probably never stay consistent with a calorie deficit. So there's nothing wrong with going over your calories. Let's, let, let's say, let, let's put it this way, okay? Again, let's use a, a model that essentially works in a vacuum because that's the only way you can make this make sense. Let's say that 200, or no, 2,000 calories is what you know from a guaranteed, 100% guarantee that you will keep your weight the same. And you decrease your calories by 350. So that is uh, 1,650 calories that you're eating a day to create a calorie deficit. You do that four days out of the week. And then on the fifth day, let's say it's a Friday night, you eat 2,000 calories. You might think, oh no, I'm not in a calorie deficit. I have to restart everything. I have to start all over. I have to, you know, reset my system. I need to go do a detox cleanse or I need to, you know, only drink water for 24 hours. No, you don't. All you have to do is the next day aim for that that calorie deficit number. That's 1650, whatever your calorie deficit number is. That's all you have to do. You don't have to take a special pill. You don't have to, you know, take a detox that's going to help you shit your brains out. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is get back on whatever you were doing the other four days of the week and you'll be fine. And you might say something like, well, it's really hard to manage how many calories I consume on the weekends. And I would agree that is a harder time to manage your calories. But you also have to understand that it's a process to learn how you can best manage those calories. Like for me, and this is just a strategy that I've used. This is not some kind of secret behind the scenes trainer like philosophy or strategy. But I've noticed that on the weekends, if I do two things, I can manage my calories a lot better. The first thing is fast. I don't always do it, but you know, if, if we're not eating breakfast as a family and I don't find that I'm overly hungry in the mornings, I'll fast on the weekends. That's just how I do it. That's what works for me. The second thing I do is I get a workout. Okay. I know that I'm typically going to eat more calories because I'm going to be in a more consistent social situation. And social situations are harder to manage calories because a lot of times you're going out to eat or you're going to you know, some kind of place where you can't necessarily track everything you're eating or make sure you have the perfect portions for whatever goal you're trying to achieve when it comes to a calorie and a uh, nutrient standpoint. So if you can find ways to manage those calories better and you can find ways through activity to appropriately and sustainably manage the approach when it comes to eating more calories, you're going to have an easier time mitigating some of the um, excessive fat gain effects of overeating calories on the weekend. The other thing I want you to understand, going back to our numbers example, is if you're eating 1,600 calories, or 1,650 is the number we said for calorie deficit, and on the weekends you're eating 2,000 calories, and you've been doing that pretty consistently, remember, 2,000 calories was your maintenance. So that means that if 2,000 calories is your maintenance and you eat 2,000 calories on the weekends, you're not gaining weight, but you're also not losing weight. And the way I would view it if I were you, and this is how I see my clients become more adherent and more consistent with their programming, is that when they view it from a standpoint of, hey, guess what? I've been really, you know, I've been really diligent with my calorie deficit. I am going to allow myself to eat to maintenance on the weekends. 
I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to stuff my face and eat all the chocolates and all the desserts and all the whatever. But I, if it comes about that I'm eating more calories than what's in my deficit, I'm just going to make sure I keep it in that 2,000 calorie range. And that's a very important mindset to have because it gives you so much more flexibility and freedom. Now, if you only are eating in a calorie deficit five days a week, then your, your rate of weight loss is going to be what it is. It's not going to be faster, but it's certainly not going to be slower than if you were only eating a calorie deficit twice a week. So sometimes instead of focusing on the macro scale, or I'm sorry, the micro scale of a day, sometimes it's better to focus on a calorie deficit as uh, accumulated over a week. So five days of a calorie deficit followed by two days of calorie maintenance can actually be a very easy pace to keep for yourself when you're trying to lose weight. And because we're already trying to focus on a long-term mindset and approach to weight loss, this is going to be a lot easier to adhere to, a lot easier to stay consistent with than something where you're strictly following a calorie deficit seven days a week. And just so you know, even the people that have been the most consistent with their calorie deficits still go over their calorie deficit in social situations or in situations where things aren't 100% ideal. So instead of worrying about the fact that you don't have a 100% ideal situation, roll with the punches, adapt to the situations you're in that you have less control over, and manage it the best you can. I promise you that that approach is going to be 100% more sustainable than trying to be strict every single day with a calorie deficit, okay? Now, if you're a figure competitor or a bodybuilder, one, you're probably not listening to this advice. <laughs> you probably already know this advice, but two, it's a different realm. I'm talking for the people that, and just so you know, the vast majority of my followers and, and you listening are a, sort of an average Joe or Jane, nine to five, you know, not a bodybuilder or figure competitor. If you're sort of the average person just trying to lose a couple extra pounds, or maybe you're trying to finally get healthier, and as a result, you're going to lose weight, this advice is going to be very pertinent to you. It's going to be very uh, it, it's going to be very applicable to you. If you're a figure competitor or a bodybuilder, this approach might not work. Okay, but again, it may work. I, again, you have to sort of work with, do it what work, works best for you. Is what I'm trying to say. All right, so on to number eleven. Only specific types of workouts burn body fat. Let's debunk something right from the beginning. All right, first of all, that's not true. Second of all, you don't necessarily burn body fat during a workout. And no specific exercise burns more body fat than any other exercise, okay? And here's why. You don't burn body fat specifically. You burn calories. Sometimes, depending on the state of energy in your body, that energy is going to come, those calories are going to come from body fat, but not necessarily. And just because you are, quote unquote, burning belly fat or burning body fat during a workout doesn't mean that that fat isn't going to be put back in if you overeat calories, so we talked about that earlier. Now, there are certain exercises that are going to, on, on average, burn more calories than other exercises. Like, for example, if I do 30 minutes of squats, because the squat, the muscles that are, participate in the squat, so the quads, uh, the glutes, you know, all the muscles that are a part of a squatting position or a squatting motion are bigger muscles. So because they're bigger muscles, they're going to burn more calories when you use them than something like doing 30 minutes of crunches. Okay, so you have to understand that, and I'm not even 100% sure that that is exactly equated for, 
because it could be that the rest you take in between during uh, during squats could be made up from you know the time that you consistently are doing crunches for 30 minutes. I don't know. It's it's too specific to to be 100% accurate with. But my point is with this this number 10 here that you have to um, or actually this is number 11 that certain workouts burn more body fat is not true. Okay? Studies will show that high intensity cardio or high intensity exercise and low intensity exercise when everything's equated for burn virtually the same amount of calories. Now, if you have a time crunch where you have to only work out for 30 minutes, you might prioritize something like high-intensity exercise because you will uh, be able to fit more uh, more efficiency into your workout in a shorter amount of time, whereas you might have to walk for an hour to burn the same amount of calories. So again, when we're looking at this, no specific workout is a fat-burning workout, all right? Like you'll see all the time on like social media and even online, like do this 10-minute fat-burning workout. No, there's nothing special about those exercises. There's nothing special about that, that workout. There's nothing special about any of it. None of that exists. You will see people who do nothing but exercise. Or I'm sorry, do nothing but walk for exercise. And when they equate that to people that do higher intensity exercise, but they equate the calories, it's the same. So don't think for a minute that there are sp- specific fat-burning workouts. I've been guilty of saying that there's fat-burning workouts because when I first was learning marketing, that's what everyone said to do. And now I'm starting to realize that when it comes to marketing, I actually benefit from being honest and debunking things than I do trying to like be the cool fitness ad that says, oh, this 10-minute fat-burning workout. If I'm going to advertise a workout, this 10-minute effective workout can get you in and out the door in no time, right? Because it's a different effect. So don't be fooled by fat burning workout. Every sort of workout burns calories. Okay. So don't get caught up in that. Number 12, there's this idea out there that you should not eat before a workout because if you eat before a workout, you will burn less fat. So this goes kind of back to the fasted approach. It's not true. Okay. So fasted exercise will burn because it's the only sort of fuel that's really in abundance on your body will burn fat but it doesn't supersede calorie balance at the end of the day, which means that if you take somebody who's doing fasted cardio, and let's say they burn 250 calories from that fasted cardio, but they eat 400 calories more than they usually do, that's a net balance of a surplus. So they are going to build or they're going to store more fat because they're in a calorie surplus, regardless of whether or not they burn fat during their immediate workout. Now, you take somebody who does... Uh, maybe they eat breakfast and then they go do a workout and then, you know, they go about the rest of their day, but they're in a consistent calorie deficit of 300 calories. That person's actually going to lose body fat. So again, just because you are burning fat during a workout doesn't mean that you are going to permanently lose that fat. And that's going to put you in a unique position to burn only fat stored on your body. Okay. So again, remember it's the total energy balance at the end of the day or the end of the week, if you want to look at it on a macro level, that matters, not how you burn calories throughout the day. Okay, so that's a very important thing that I believe needs to be said more. So start, you know, thinking in terms of that. All right, number 13, body wraps can help you lose body fat. Okay, so I'll make this pretty quick. Body wraps do nothing on fat cells. 
Okay, again, that's a calorie thing. The results that people think they are getting from using body wraps is the sweat that they lose in the area that the wrap is around. So the same way a sauna can help you sweat more, and if unless you you know didn't know this, or in case you didn't know this, water is a form of weight. It weighs something. So if you sweat and you don't immediately replace the water that you lost through sweat, that is a form of weight loss. But it's not a permanent form, and it's certainly not body fat. Also, the other thing that, that tends to be sort of hidden is that like if you're eating in a calorie deficit or you're eating less calories than you burn, whether you're aware of it or not, and you're using a body wrap and you lose weight, you're going to go, oh, it was the body wrap. No, it wasn't. You take the body, at weight, uh, the body wrap out of the equation and you still lost weight because you were eating less calories. So a lot of times what can happen is, is because somebody's doing like seven different things, like they drink this detox drink in the morning, then they put their body wrap on at 9 a.m., they sweat for 30 minutes, and they also eat less calories every single day, and they, they weight lift. They do all these different things, and they go, oh, it was the wrap. Oh, it was the workout. Oh, it was the you know, fact that I didn't eat carbs. No. It was just you ate less calories and you burned. You did that in different ways. And many people can do that in different ways, which if you're flipping it on its head is a positive, right? It means that we have, there's lots of ways in which we can lose weight, which means that it could be different for each person. Maybe a low carb diet helps you stay more adherent to a, uh, you know, a low calorie or a calorie deficit approach. Perfect. But for your neighbor, fitting in more carbohydrates, staying in with a calorie deficit might be better. So instead of trying to create polarizing opinions, why can't we just come to a consensus that calories are the underlying effect of weight loss? And the way that you get there, provided you have some very basic and ethical principles, aka not starving yourself, as long as we can uh, uh, understand that at the very least we're eating less calories, the way you go about it should be a personal decision for you. It shouldn't be an opinion from... Susie at your office who lost 40 pounds on keto. Okay, That might have worked great for Susan. But Susan has to realize that that approach might not work for you. And she needs to understand also that it's not a dogmatic approach. Many people have found, just sort of as a side, many people have found it a lot easier to adhere to a calorie deficit with a lower carb intake. More power to them. But that is not a rooted principle of weight loss. A rooted principle of weight loss is a calorie deficit, adherence, consistency. I mean, that's it. Like that's literally it. How you get about to it, provided you're also, you know, doing some sort of strength training to preserve muscle mass, which is good for your metabolism. Is that also is thrown in there, but at the very root of it, that's what I'm trying to say. Is that, you know, these wraps, these pills, these sort of shortcut methods will not get you the results that you want or are not responsible for the results that you see people advertising. A lot of them are getting paid. A lot of them don't realize what's going on behind the scenes, you know, AKA calories. And so when you see those things, make sure you take it with a grain of salt and you understand it has to come down to the amount of calories they consumed versus the amount of calories they burned. It has nothing to do with the wrap, the pill, the detox, the whatever approach they're using. All right, so I just noticed that we're at minute 47 and a half. And I'm only on 14 and 15. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the next two. So 14 and 15. 
and then I'll do a separate podcast for 16 through 30 just so that it's easier to break these things up and uh, I don't end up doing a two-hour podcast, which could very well happen. Um, and I should have known that was going to happen based on the um, the amount of different myths I wanted to debunk. But uh, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do it that way. So number 14, losing weight on the scale is the only way to measure progress. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I recommend that if you want to use the scale to measure weight loss, that's fine. But you have to have a second and possibly a third way of measuring as well. And here's why. 90% of the people that I work with will see other forms of progress happen before the number on the scale changes to any sort of measurable or uh, reasonable degree. Okay, so here's an example. I'm working with a woman right now who I'm actually doing a reverse dieting protocol with. And all that means is she's been eating very low calories for a long time. She hasn't really been doing any strength training. We're trying to build muscle and also increase the amount of calories she can eat and keep her weight the same. And what she has experienced is she's only increased her calories, I think, by 150 total since we started working together. And she has lost inches without losing weight, which is the gold standard for reverse dieting. And it's not, it doesn't always happen that way. I've had plenty of people actually gain weight in the form of muscle, presumably. Like the way we're measuring it, it really makes sense that they're building muscle. And they'll gain weight as a result of building muscle. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, this, the number on the scale is going to fluctuate very wildly. So I've even had people who have dramatically changed their body composition. So they've changed the way their body looks. They've dropped fat and they've toned up. And yet their scale weight is virtually the same, you know, give or take plus or minus one or two pounds. And they, this person is like freaking out, like, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. I want to see the number go down. I said, let me ask you something. How much better do you feel now than you did before? Oh, I feel tremendously better. Okay, cool. How many inches have you lost around your waist? Oh, I've lost at least, you know, three or four inches. Okay, cool. Are you sleeping better than you have in the past? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't wake up in the middle of the night or anything. Like, I feel good. Cool. Um, let me ask you, how is your mood and energy during the day? Oh, I, I definitely don't have those dramatic drops in the day anymore. I, I, have, I feel good. My energy is sustained. And I go, okay, that's four things that you just said were were improved. Why in the hell are you so focused on your weight? And at that point, the discussion goes from, oh, wow, I really did, you know, like they really start realizing, oh, wow, I really have made progress. But it's that scale weight that they're holding on to. And that is not something that you want to hold on to. You do not want your scale weight to determine whether or not you have progressed or you've improved. And here's why. Your weight doesn't give you any very, any specific understanding of your worth or your health. Within a certain range, your weight is obviously important for health, okay? But there have been people who have died of preventable diseases who were a normal weight. There have been people that have been slightly overweight that live into their hundreds, okay? So it's not a 100% determination of, of the progress that you made or the health that you're going to maintain just because your weight is a certain number. It's about a lot of different things. And appearance or scale weight is, is not one of the major ones. 
given you know some reasonable parameters or barriers there. Okay, so understand that I would actually recommend for the vast majority of people to not only use a scale. I think that's the fast track way to being frustrated. If you want to learn how to use your scale and understand it so that you can understand the fluctuations that occur on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis, or maybe you're a woman who wants to understand how her weight fluctuates during her cycle so that you can sort of preemptively the next time you have your cycle go, okay, this makes sense. I've gained three pounds. I'm in the middle of my cycle. It's water weight, obviously. I didn't just suddenly you know, get fatter overnight. And when you start to understand these things, it can be very powerful for reasoning why weight increases have happened. But if you consistently run from that or you only use the scale to determine whether or not you're making progress, you will be, I can guarantee that you will be discouraged and you'll not want to continue your journey because you're making impulsive decisions based on temporary changes in your weight. When in reality, the temporary changes that happen to your weight are not an indication of anything that needs to be adjusted or changed. Now, if you go four straight weeks where you gain two pounds, you're in a calorie surplus. Like there's a very clear cut distinction. But if you on Monday weigh 160 pounds and then on Tuesday weigh 162 pounds and then on you know Wednesday you weigh 162 pounds again, just because your weight went up two pounds and stayed at that two pound increase for two straight days doesn't mean that you're doing something inherently wrong with your calories. So a day-to-day change in weight don't worry about it. Okay. I know, I know it's easy for me to say because I'm sitting here as a coach and you're the one who's experiencing it, but you have to start coaching yourself or learn how to make these mental adjustments. And the only way that I've seen people really permanently make that adjustment is by trusting the process, going through the process and proving their assumptions wrong by sticking it out, losing body fat over time and realizing, holy crap, just because my weight went up Monday and Tuesday doesn't mean that it's going to be body fat, number one. And number two, it means it's going to permanently stay there by the end of the week. Your weight fluctuates. And while there is rhyme and reason to it, trying to keep track of all the variables that increase or decrease your weight on a daily basis is maddening. The same way that trying to track every single calorie that you burn is going to be maddening. And it's not a good use of willpower or discipline. All right. Very cool. So number 15. This is the last one we'll do before we break this podcast into two pieces. Number 15, eating a low-carb diet is better for losing weight and body fat than a moderate or a high-carb diet, all right? So this is not true in a vacuum. That being said, if a low-carb diet helps you stay more adherent to a calorie deficit, then more power to you. Do that, okay? But there's nothing inherently special about lowering your carbohydrates in terms of being able to lose more body fat. If calories are equated for, and two people, two different people, are both in a calorie deficit, the composition of their calories doesn't matter. At the, at just at the very, if we're just looking at weight loss, okay? What matters is their adherence to that approach. So for some people, that might be a low-carb diet. For other people, that might be keto. For some people, that might be vegetarianism, where they eat you know smaller amounts of protein, more carbs from obviously plant sources and more fats. So yeah, you could totally do any sort of diet approach or any sort of eating style and lose weight when calories are in a calorie deficit, uh, consistently in a calorie deficit for you. 
right? Everyone's calorie deficit is going to be different. You can't compare one person to the other. Now, there are people out there as well who have the opposite effect of a low-carb diet. Instead of it being a way to adhere to that approach or that calorie deficit, it actually makes it harder. And I won't say that there's any specific person this falls falls under, but you might typically see this in people that are you know, lifting weights or exercising pretty often. A low-carb diet might not be the best approach for that person. Or you might just have person, uh, people that prefer a higher-carb approach. Like many vegetarians that are also trying to do low-carb are going to have a very challenging time. Doesn't mean it's not possible. Doesn't mean if you think that might work for you, you shouldn't try it out. It just means that it typically isn't as easy for some people to go low-carb. And again, you got to remember that when calories are in a range that allows you to create a calorie deficit, the way that you manipulate your macronutrients needs to fall under the, uh, the approach or the magnifying glass that creates more adherence. The person that creates a calorie deficit and then arranges their types of calories, so proteins, carbs, and fats, and also healthy foods versus less healthy foods, the more you customize that to you, again, keeping calories equated for, the more you're going to adhere to it. So you might have somebody who's in a calorie deficit who isn't eating any of their favorite foods, who's eventually going to burn out because it's like, I want to eat these, you know, rices or potatoes or this this sort of chicken or this sort of unhealthy food, but I'm not allowed to because I'm in a dieting phase, that person's not going to last in their diet. They're not going to be able to maintain the diet long enough in order to see the effects of losing body fat while in a calorie deficit. So while a calorie deficit is very important, how you're able to adhere to that calorie deficit is, in my opinion, more important. Because I can be in a calorie deficit for two days and absolutely hate it, or I can be in a calorie deficit and love the food that I'm eating, getting a mix of healthy and unhealthy foods, getting foods that I know will be better for my body and managing my calorie deficit, but also foods that I enjoy that are maybe sweeter or fattier or whatever you want to put, however you want to put it. And I'm going to want to do that more often because I have more of my favorite things. So I'm going to be able to carry out that calorie deficit for a much longer time, which means that I'm going to be able to lose more body fat over time. And probably most importantly, I'm going to be able to maintain the weight that I've lost so that when I come out of my calorie deficit and move into a maintenance phase, that I'm not uh, you know, gaining all of that weight back. So anyway, that is the 15th myth of this podcast. I'm going to do 16 through 30 in a follow-up podcast, more than likely the one immediately after this one. Uh, so this is part one, and thanks a ton for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, please let me know. You can reach out to me at Shane Humberfit on Instagram, on TikTok, although I don't think TikTok has like a messaging feature. So best to use Instagram. If you go to my Instagram and you rather send me an email or a DM, feel free to. I answer all of my own messages. I don't have bots. I don't have assistants. I don't have any of that stuff. Although maybe one day I will need an assistant. But um, so I answer everything. Um, it might take me a little bit of time to, to message you back, but I promise that I will see it and that I will do my best to be as quick about responding as I can. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, if you don't mind, before you leave, leave a review. 
of the podcast. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Uh, and obviously, if you want to hear any more about specific topics, feel free to suggest a topic. I'm always open to a specific topic being suggested if I feel like it can help multiple uh, people out there. So anyway, thanks a ton for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate your time and consideration because I know you could be listening to a lot of different stuff. Uh, so anyway, without further ado, have a great day and I will see you in a future episode.